Hi, this is Tina Black, and this is the B-Series Podcast. Today, we'll be exploring untold stories of transformation and leadership. We hope you'll subscribe and check out the B-Books and send us your stories of transformation after listening. We are sitting here with some of my most important people in my life, and as all of you know that this recent circumstance with the tragic murder of George Floyd, and it's just disgraceful by all measures, and yesterday I woke up with a heavy, heavy, heavy heart, and I know it was God that just said to me that, Tina, um, this is your Esther moment, and you were born for such a time as this, and I knew at that moment that I had to call on my good friends, and that's what I've done, and so I actually have a part one series and a part two series because I had to give my friends, you know, an opportunity to respond when they would be available, and so, oh, it's, you know, here on Tuesday and then another time on Thursday to be able to spend together, but um, the bottom line is this, and you know, I've got my Get Your Leadership on t-shirt on today, and this is the B series, and, and I believe that uh, we need to be the change. So this series is going to be called Be the Change, and we can no longer be silent. Uh, the time to be silent is not now. The time is to speak up and leaders lead, and I heard an incredible message by John Maxwell yesterday, and I knew my heart just started beating, and I said, I've got to be the change, and that's what this is all about. And, and I just want you to know, uh, I have Dale Jones here with his beautiful wife, Kimberlyn, and I have Lydia Davis, and I have uh, Stella Davis. <laughs> That's kind of ironic, right? <laughs> and so what's cool about this is that Lydia Davis is a graduate of my Palmetto School, and Dale Jones and Kimberlyn are Palmetto School owners, and that we do have an incredible relationship. And I know that when you hear from them and I want you to know I am my brother's keeper and and I hope that after you listen to this that you too will be your brother's keeper and I just heard a song by Casting Crowns today by Mark Hall and and it was real and I just listened to it and it says um, change me first Lord then let me be part of the change my black brothers and sisters I love you and I'm praying for you and I stand with you and the most amazing thing, you guys, is that our Palmetto schools, which I have always loved, um, have always stood for one size fits all. And I truly believe now is the time to share that message and to really stand up and to not be silent. And we need to work with our teams and talk with our teams and get them together. I talked to my salon team today and the entire team was on board with all of this and they were so happy that we are taking the stand and we cannot be silent. So we're gonna be the change. And so first and foremost, I wanna introduce to you Dale Jones and his beautiful wife, Kimberlyn, of course, who are dear, dear friends of Brian and my as well. Um, he was the first person that I attached to in the Paul Mitchell School world. And when I met him, I said, I am gonna sit at his feet. He's the most brilliant businessman that you'd ever meet. and. I want you to know, Dale, I'm just going to sit back and listen, and I'm going to call on all of you guys to speak, and I'm here. I don't have the answers. I'm, I'm completely vulnerable to this, but I can tell you this, that I will, and I will stand, and I will not be silent, and I will make sure that my platform knows uh, your story and hears what you have to say, 
and let's come up with solutions as well too. And Dale, I've already used some of your solutions, so I can't wait for people to hear about some of yours as well too. So Dale, Kimberlyn, you guys are up first. Yeah, thank you listen, for being on. Uh, thank you so much, Tina, for having us here and um, giving us this platform just to speak out. Um, and hopefully this is not something that we'll just say, but um, that will begin to move the needle towards a better tomorrow, right? I mean, and, and uh, we've, we've spoken a lot about this and we have had a lot to say uh, through, um, through time. And I think um, we're at a moment in time right now that action is required, that, that we absolutely have got to look at what we're doing and ask ourselves the question, what do we need to do different? We keep doing the same thing, we're gonna get the same result. So what are we gonna do different in order for us to move to a better future? I'm so thankful to have Kimberly, my wife, with me today. And, um, you know, we spent a whole lot of time just talking through um, how do we respond to this? Um, and it was a critical moment for me. Of course, I've been talking with um, our staff and students about it. Um, but for me, I had to st um, stand still for a moment. When I first saw the video, um, I was crushed. I, 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 I'm just going to tell you, it was a devastating feeling for me um, to listen to a grown man call for his mother who is not alive, right, who's dead. <laughs> He's calling for mom, almost like he was transitioning in that moment uh, was just completely devastating to me. And I, I couldn't watch it, the end of it, at the back way to come back to it. Um, and just to understand that, man, uh, we're still in a, a period of time in our country where uh, people are struggling to be heard and struggling to be recognized. And, you know, I, I was speaking to you know, a group of people on, on yesterday and we were wrestling with the idea or the, or the terminology that we've been tossing around, Black Lives Matter. And, and um, should we even use that, that phrase, Black Lives Matter? And, and for me, um, I said, absolutely Black Lives Matter, right? Because um, I can say that emphatically without disparaging blue lives or white lives or yellow lives or any other lives. I can hold two thoughts in my head at one time and express my feeling about one without having to express my feeling for all others at that time. If my child is being bullied and wants to kill himself, I can strongly affirm to him that his life matters without feeling it necessary for me to tell him, and mine is too, right? I can affirm to that child because in that moment, he needs me to affirm to him that his life matters. You know, so for anyone who struggles with the idea of Black Lives Matter, especially during this very pivotal moment in our history, lack the empathy for other group of people who feel that their lives are meaningless, right? And when you feel like your life is meaningless, somebody has got to come alongside you and remind you that your life do matter. And it's incredibly important to positively affirm that for every person who's, who feels marginalized, who feels maligned during this time of our life, that their lives do matter. And it takes nothing away from anyone else 
to tell that person that their lives absolutely do matter. I remember when um, my daughter um, finally discovered that she was Black. Yeah, and for Black folks, we go through that, right? And when our daughter came home or a child came home and says, and start crying and weeping because all of a sudden somebody told her she was Black and she didn't understand what that meant, right? It was almost like, I'm different and something is wrong with me. I'm black. And, and so in that moment, our heart broke for our child because before then we never talked about that. It wasn't a discussion at home. She knew she was a child of God and a human being. And that was enough for us. But the reality out there is that yes, somebody's gonna see her and see the color of her skin before they see anything else. And so that day, the next day, um, Tina, I had to take her with me at the time I was president and CEO of GE Clinical Service. I had a huge responsibility at GE. And so the next day I took her with me to share with her my significance so that she'll see that it's okay to be the color of her skin and she is still beautiful and great and significant, right? So that's the reality that, that we deal with. And so when, when, when someone struggles with, with the notion whether somebody's lives matter, it's just in the context of what we're going through, we better affirm those individuals that indeed their lives do matter, right? And that's so important for us. And so, um, you know, that's what I want to say for, for this segment. I, you know, I, I reject anyone who, who um, marginalize other people and don't see the significance in, in others as well. And we've got to be careful. And I said this to, um, to, to you, Tina, I think it was yesterday, we talked about labels that we so casually put on ourselves, mm -hmm. right? That we casually label ourselves as conservative or liberals or what, whatever those labels are. And we so casually do it. But every time we ascribe ourselves to a label, we tend to define ourselves by it. And everyone who doesn't wear that label are disqualified from us. It becomes a point of demarcation, right? And we separate ourselves from those people or we see that person as different. So if you, you're going to wear a label, then you better understand the inherent responsibility that comes with that label, right? I've been a Republican, a conservative all of my adult life, but I worship with mostly liberal people. My job isn't to demonize them, but to show them that there is a different way. And notice I didn't say a better way. I said a mm -hmm. different way, because that is mostly my opinion. Mm -hmm. Jesus, when he was here, he was a righteous man. But he says, I didn't come for the righteous. I came for sinners, right? He says, I came to call sinners to repentance. And so he understood the responsibility of being labeled righteous, right? being a righteous person. So I reject the racists who cloak themselves in righteousness, but doesn't see the need for justice for another group of people. I reject that, left, that kind of righteousness because it's not Christ-like. Mm -hmm. And we're born to be like Christ. And so as we are born again, believers and leaders, we have to understand what we're called to do. And if we're going to wear a label, and please understand the importance and the responsibility that that label brings and how you then interact with other people. You know, we've got leaders um, that, that's here. And as leaders, 
and we get to lead change. That's what, that's what we do. The, the difference between a leader and a manager, manager kind of manage the status quo. Leaders, we lead change, you know. And so as I think about even, you know, I've been in the corporate world a long time. I was president and CEO of GE Clinical Services. And for me, when I think about the change that need to happen, diversity for me was incredibly important. And so while initially diversity was designed to kind of force the workplace to diversify themselves, um, it, you know, it was never really intended to be a burden um, on business. You know, it was really there to really open the eyes of leaders to see how diverse views and perspective in the marketplace can really help that marketplace, right, and that business. And so um, I really believe that diversity will be a game, continue to be a game changer. And as Absolutely. leaders, we have got to promote diversity and inclusion in wherever we are and certainly in our companies. And so for me, because I believe that diverse is the key to a richer, more powerful, and more customer aware workplace, right? I've got to make sure that, that I am leading um, in, the, in that regard. So when, when I am transformed by that belief that diversity matters, then I focus on it. And I focus mm -hmm. on it keenly with my staff to make sure that my leadership staff is reflective of the community. Because if my leadership staff is not reflective of the community, then the people that are below my leadership staff will, will never even come in. You know, as leaders, and what are we gonna do different? Man, we've got to seek out opportunity to diversify our community and diversify our business. If you own a school, if you own a salon, if you own whatever, man, that's your job. And so, you know, I love what you're doing, Tina, because you're not just talking about it, you're being about it, right? You know, our actions speak so loud that I can't hear what you say, right? I mean, and so our actions ought to say, yeah, I believe in it so much that I'll invest myself in that. And it's only when we embrace the power of diversity and inclusion and truly begin to live out the very spirit of it that we as a nation will begin to transform into that perfect union that we so desperately want to see, right? But we have got to lead that. I would really love to see in our churches now are beginning to, to do that and start becoming more diverse, right? Churches should have been le leading this a long time before the marketplace began to, to lead this effort. Because until we all really truly believe that, that your views and, and the other person's view that doesn't look like me is incredibly important, man, then we will never be the great nation that we can be. And so I told my, my students here that we don't need a label or a slogan to be great. We've got, we need to make a decision about that, right? Mm -hmm. We've got to make a decision that I am going to be great and I am going to embrace my brothers and sisters because they're so important. And when we start seeing people as God made them, you know, again, I told another group of people that God only made man. He didn't make a black man. He didn't make a white man. It didn't make a Latino man. He made man. So when you go to Genesis 1 and 27, and God says, let us make man, right? And so we need to go back to what God made. So when people walk in the room, they see man. They don't see black. They don't see white. They don't see all of those other things. That's what the world has done. That's what, what Satan has done to kind of divide us as people. Let's go back to what God has created. Let us make man. 
And when God made that, and if we go back, you know, we're talking in biblical terms, if we go back to, to Noah, who, who was the, the progenitor of all of us, since if we believe in the flood and everything was wiped out, and then Noah and his three sons, right, birthed out the rest of the world, it is inconceivable to believe that Noah had a black child, a white child, and a yellow child. That is inconceivable, right? And so he had children, and over time they migrate, and their pigmentation of their skin change, and all of those kind of things, right? But, but God didn't make us to be black or white or green or blue or all those kind of labels that we put on people. We have done that. Right? Mm -hmm. And we've got to stop that because we have done that. And we have the, the ability to the move on from that and to really see people for the true character of who they are because God made them who they are. And as he made them, we ought to see them as God sees them. And when we decide to do that, then we'll, we will be great. And only then will we be great. Right? When we begin to see people for how God has made them and not the labels that, that we have put on. So good to have Lydia on, Lydia Davis. Mm -hmm. You know, t tell us your, your thoughts with that, Lydia. Lydia. Yeah, Lydia, thank you. She's she's a multi-salon owner. She also own, owns Expression uh, Extension Kits, and she does fundraising all over the Paul Mitchell schools. Uh, and you raise a lot of money for the Andrew Gomez Dream Foundation. And she's also a graduate of mine, so that's very special. Uh, to have you on this call, Lydia. So if you could share your story. Well, thanks for having me, Tina. I really enjoy being on this call. I'm, I'm angry. I'm just gonna keep it real. And I love the fact that we're having these conversations because it's a conversation that's past due. We, mm -hmm. we are constantly fighting for equal rights. Um, I do come from a biracial family. My mother is German and my father is black American. And that is um, beauty in itself because it's proven that you can be, you can love other races. You can love other backgrounds. You can love a person and not judge them based on the color of their skin. But growing up as a child, I definitely witnessed racism everywhere we went coming from a biracial family. My father was a pastor of a church and um, our congregation was dominantly African-Americans. And my mom was like the only white woman in our church and never did we have issues with the, the black Americans accepting her into the community. Like she didn't experience being uncomfortable. Maybe she felt it, but she never showed it. She felt the love from the community. Um, but when we would cross eight mile, I'm from Detroit, Michigan, and we crossed, when, when our family would cross eight mile where it's uh, dominantly white Americans, we felt that racism. We had those looks and those stares and very uncomfortable situations where my father had to carry a concealed weapon and he had to threaten men to protect his family. And it's just ridiculous. You know, I saw my father weep and cry over Rodney King in 1992. I saw a, a, a man of so much power break down with pain and tears and hurt. So I'm angry. I feel the pain that the, the black men especially have to face. My husband is black American. I have a black son, a black daughter. And it goes back to when my daughter realized that she was black. You know, and I had to have that conversation with her. And she didn't know I was black. She was telling me like, no, mom, you're white. Look at your skin. I said, no, sweetheart. I am a black woman. 
you are a black woman and you have the magic to be great, no matter what yes. your skin looks like. And okay. I feel pain and I'm hurt because I'm raising black children. And I don't want to have that phone call from my son. My son wear hoodies. My son is an A-plus student. My son is a respectful young man. And because he don't answer to the police correctly, or if he don't say the right response, or if, if he don't put his hands up, you're going to shoot him? I don't want to feel that mm -hmm. pain of having that phone call saying that my son was a... Uh, uh, you know, a statistic, or my son was a product of this hate crime. And I love police officers. My father was a pastor. We knew the judges of Detroit. We knew all the police officers in Detroit. I don't have a problem with police officers. I'm against hate crimes. I'm against bad people not treating other people with the human right of being equal. Like, I just don't understand why we can't get that through our head to just respect other people's values, respect other people's opinions, respect other people the way they look. I shouldn't have to look a certain way to walk into a restaurant to have respect. I shouldn't mm -hmm. have to wear my hair a certain way. I shouldn't have to dress a certain way for you just to have compassion and to love me however God made me. Why do I have to straighten my hair to fit in? Or why do I have to put on a certain dress to be, just to have respect? And I, and I believe that, you know, we want to hold ourselves respectable and we have to, um, you know, be a certain way as a citizen in, in America. But if I do come across a conflict and I feel like it's unjust and it's not fair, I should be free to voice my opinion without being afraid of being killed mm -hmm. or being shot or being hurt, you know? And I know the poli police brutality, it goes um, not just for Black Americans, but for other races too. But the fact that we're screaming Black Lives Matter is because the Black Americans are the ones that's paying the most. And it's not fair. It's not fair at all. And just like um, Dale said, when I couldn't watch that video, I literally got goosebumps and my heart just tore out of my chest when I saw the fact that this man can just stand there with his knee on his neck and he's crying out, pleading. He's screaming at the top of his lungs the, as loud as he can where a person is recording across the street and can hear it like the phone is right there next to his mouth. And I do not want my son to be a victim. And I, I'm, I'm just angry about it. And the fact that people are more, they have more um, awareness and they have more energy based on looting and the riots, they're forgetting about the reason why. Why is the world so disrupt right now? Why is the world going through all this pain? It's because Black Americans is constantly facing the same challenges the same hurt, the same pain. We have to do even more just to be accepted. Why? Why? Why do I have to do a thousand percent more? And I tell my kids this, you have to be a thousand percent better than everybody in your class because you're the only black child in there. You can't be, my son go to a, a predominantly a Hispanic school. I live in Miami now. I just feel hurt about the whole situation. And because I am raising a black son and my husband is black and I come from a community of black Americans. Again, I was born in Detroit, Michigan, and I saw it firsthand of how police attacked just racial profiling, 
pretty much. You know, my son drives, a, I mean, my husband drives a Maserati. He's a black American. And I, I would never want him to get pulled over just because our success, he's allowed to, you know, experience driving a Maserati, but then have to be racial profiled and be harassed because of what, our hard work to get a Maserati? Like, I don't get it. It, there, and that's what I'm against. I'm against the police brutality and the fact that they are racial profiling people. They're not giving us the justice that we deserve or the just humanity and, and, and the compassion. All of this over a $20 bill. Like seriously, it was all over a $20 bill. This man had to lose his life and you couldn't have compassion enough just to let him breathe. It's just ridiculous. So I think the rioting, the rioting and eluding it's necessary. I have three salons. I definitely don't want no one to go burn my salons or hurt my salons, but I can understand and respect the reason why. I can understand and respect the reason why. Mm -hmm. That's my opinion. Mm -hmm. And I and I feel like if we all can respect each other, mm -hmm. each other's opinion, then we can grow. We can grow from that. But don't call me an idiot because that's my feelings. Don't call me yeah. stupid because I feel that pain. Right. You don't know my story. You don't know the pain I'm going through. So don't disregard my experience. Right. That's so powerful and sad. Agreed. Can I share a story? Yes. I, I think this is a, you know, I, I got uh, put in handcuffs for the first time at age 54. It was at 1030 one night in Kentucky, in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, I had um, I'd gotten the previous ticket uh, two years prior. And I hired an attorney to go ahead and, and handle it because I'm in and out of Kentucky. You know, I had a school in Kentucky and in and, uh, and Nashville and Roanoke and all those places. So I was in Kentucky. We got this ticket. Okay, got this attorney. Would, would you take care of it for me? Uh, two years later, uh, I am in I'm in Louisville, and this is at 10:30 at night. And this cop pull, pulls me over. He said I was swerving in the road, so he pulled me over. Um, I'm in my Range Rover, pretty nice car. And uh, when he came to me, he says, okay, um, I stopped you because you were swerving over. I'm going to go back here and I'll come back. And when he came back, he says, I need for you to get out of the car. Get out of the car now. I'm like, okay, what did I do? Get out of the car, right? And he started to elevate his voice. So I got out of the car immediately. And he says, you've got a warrant for your arrest. And I'm like, sir, I, I haven't done anything in my life to warrant an arrest. And so he slammed me up against the, the car. Mm -hmm. It's 10.30 at night. Um, and in that moment, it didn't matter the car I was driving, um, the title that I was wearing, how much money I had in the bank account. In that moment, I was a black guy. Right, and all I need, all I wanted at that moment was for him to take me to jail because at least somebody else will see me, because I'm out here physically in this dark place at 10:30 at night, um, mm -hmm. and and every time I try to explain, his voice got louder. It's almost like he had to be in control of the moment. So I start just literally melting down because I needed to see my family that night. Right, and I knew that had I not do something different in terms of just, okay, comply, um, get handcuffed, whatever you got to do. I just need for you to take me to jail. So at least I can see somebody else, right? And in that moment, again, for me, um, man, what, what a dehumanizing moment. What I mean, mm -hmm. to be handcuffed, thrown in, in, in the back of the car, only discover that my attorney apologized because yes, he got all the fees and everything else. 
and he did everything but one thing he needed to do was to go back to the courthouse and, and just make sure that he filed that and he didn't file it properly right so i went to jail that night so i called my wife um at 11 o'clock i wish she was here right now 11 o'clock at night and and she's like okay and she was she was able to get a hold of that attorney that we call only by the grace of God, he was available at 12.30 at night. Right? So when she finally called him and he was like, oh my God, ma'am, I'm so sorry. Right? I'll go get your husband out of jail like right now. But mm-hmm. I'll tell you in the dark of mm-hmm. night at 10.30 at night, uh, when that guy was screaming at me to get out of the car and slapping a handcuff on me, and I'm like, I'm, I'm a minister of the gospel. I don't do anything wrong. I've never been in jail or anything else before in my entire life. But at 54 years old, I was afraid for my life. In that moment, I thought it was over for me. Right? And just by the grace of God, I'm still here because, yeah, I complied. And, you know, like, listen, um, whatever you need, um, you got it. That, take me to jail. I am sorry. I don't know what I did, but um, I'm sorry for that. And okay, just put me in the car. Let's go. You know, each of us have got to take inventory of, okay, so what am I doing to move the needle? You know, God has done everything and his word is already there. He's done everything he's going to do. The question is, is believers, are you a real believer to believe what he has said, right? Exactly. And are you valuing people the way they should be valued and view people the way that they should be viewed and how God views them, right? Because right. if there if there is a if there is a distance between the way we view people and how God view people, then that gap um, is not good. And that's what, what, what we're living. We're living in that gray zone right now where people yeah. feel it okay to be, okay, I'm a Christian and I'm doing everything that I can. And I keep having to remind uh, our friends uh, on both sides. Again, I, I'm a conservative and, you know, I keep having to remind religious people that God is not only a God of righteousness, he's a God of justice. And you can't yeah, take one part of that God and not the other. If he's not a God of justice, he ceases to be God. So he's a God of both righteousness and he's a God of justice. So it's important that we embrace that kind of God because that's the only God we've got, right? He's a God of righteousness and he's a God of justice. So when we see things that are Mm -hmm. unjust, we've got to speak out against those injustices because our God is speaking out against those injustices, right? And so it's so important that we embrace that. As as, um, Stella said, the word is already given. The question is, will we live according to the word that's already given? And when we decide in our hearts that we'll align ourselves with the word of God and begin to live out the true meaning of the word of God, then all this disparity that, that we're seeing among ourselves that we have created as human. As I said before, he didn't create white man or black man. He created man. Right. That's it. So we have created this. And so as Christians, I I hope we'll begin to, in a practical way, start moving towards solutions, you know, that will make a difference. So I'll say to every business owner that's out there, that's listening to this podcast, if you're a business owner and you've got authority to hire people, and if if your workplace isn't diverse, shame on you. 
right? And I'm going to put it out there. Shame on you because you have the power to affect a change. And as you do that in your community, in your space of influence, right? Because we got to do this one, one bit at a time. And so if, if that person doing the other person, everybody's doing the same thing, then we really began to move the needle, right? And people will start seeing the worth and value of people. And so again, in my organization, and I've done this not just in our, our schools since being a, a, a school owner, but as a, a senior executive in the corporation, my team was diverse. And the reason my team was diverse, because I believe in diversity. And just, just as we know that we move towards what we focus on, I think that's law number three of the three laws of the mind, right? We talk about it. Mm -hmm. And so we move towards what um, we focus on. Yeah. So if we focus on diversity and inclusion and bringing people in, guess where we're going to move? We're going to move towards that. So no more excuses. Right. Yes. Really don't want to hear no more. excuses. Yeah. Right. No. Be about the change that we seek. Right. And so what we we have talked now, let's go do something. Let's go make a difference in our sphere of influence. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you in your sphere of influence, you don't see diversity, fix it. Yeah. Fix it now. Yeah. Right. Begin yeah. to move towards that. You've got to believe that in your heart, because whatever whatever we focus on. Whatever we, we think about, we move towards that. As a man thinking in his heart, so he becomes. So if you believe yes. in diversity, if you believe in, in, in inclusion, if you believe that people are worth it, then they've got value, then be about it. Be about it. Make sure that you're doing all the things that you need to do to promote that. And we all get to do that. And there are no more excuses. No more excuses. And, you know, I was, I told you yesterday, I was awakened and I know it's been the prayers of the righteous and I've been awakened and, and now I know it and uh, shame on me for not knowing. And I put down um, number one to declare right now, I will not be silent. I put that as number one to be the change. And uh, I, I feel like someone's listening right now that's just saying, I'm going to not be silent. And I believe just yesterday hearing John Maxwell speak up about it and his team speak up about it, it gave me the courage. And I feel like I'm giving you the courage right now to stop allowing it to happen, those of you that are listening. And then number two, I did this today with my salon teams. I have three salons right now. We're building our fourth. Uh, we addressed the elephant in the room right away and the discussion and we did a round table discussion and I have to tell you that the team was more than ever so grateful that they had us as leaders because they've been thinking the same thing and they were so happy that we took the stance. I said, I apologize, this is my fault and it starts in the schools and uh, Sean and I met with the team and we're gonna meet with all of our schools and our directors and we're gonna talk about this and we're gonna immediately address the elephant in the room with our future professionals and our schools. And we're gonna just allow people to talk. We're just like I'm doing here. So I put mm -hmm. down affirm people's realities, allow people to talk, just sit and listen at their feet. And I love what Wynn Claybaugh said today with Patrice Washington. She, uh, he did an interview with her yesterday and he just said, just shut up and listen. And so I put that down, just shut up and listen. And if you're reacting 
or offended, just ask the question Patrice said, say, what did you mean by that? That's the only question you ask. What did you mean by that? And just allow people to talk, affirm. I think that's so important, affirm people's realities. And then I put number four, uh, I loved what you said, uh, Dale, take inventory of what I can do to move the needle. And, you know, again, just ask God, you know, God, what can I do? And, and that's what I did yesterday. And I called all of you uh, to help me to do that and just a brainstorm. And then I had an incredible idea, uh, God-given idea, I believe, uh, today as well, is to get a hold of all of my uh, Black staff in my schools, which we have quite a few, and I want to brainstorm with them, and I want to talk to them first, and I'm just going to sit at their feet and listen to them, and I'm sure they'll be on a podcast as well, too, because we've got to blast this out yes. and let people hear their stories, and then I loved what you said, Dale, and I want to stay on this for a minute because we started this already today with our team, and they said, yes this I want to do I want to oh, be about this and it is promote diversity and inclusion and so I love Dale um, when I went to your church when you used to pastor a church and we walked in and it was so full of diversity and I remember thinking I wish I had a church like this because God put it on my heart years ago and and I'm like you know what why am I not doing this in all of my companies right I have it in two of them but not all of them and so I'm going to promote that. And I, I love what you said, because I used your words today, Dale, um, setting up the culture of diversity. It's like you have to be about setting up that culture of diversity. So you have to be super intentional. And you said something so profound. And I said it today. And I want you to stay on that a minute uh, where you walk in and say, hey, we need more coffee and the cream or we need yeah. more cream and the coffee. <laughs> that was perfect. <laughs> Yes, Look at my you, cup. You know, at, at our schools, um, yeah, because I, I literally <laughs> love that stuff, right? Uh, for me, it's all about diversity. And so when I start seeing my school swing in one way, you know, yeah, I'll bring my staff in and it says, okay, I need some more cream in my coffee. Or if it swings the other way, I need some more coffee in my cream. And they know exactly what I'm talking about, I right? love it. Um, I mm -hmm. believe it in my heart that, that yes. we are diverse as a school and as a unit of people, man, we're better for it. We're richer, we're stronger, we're more powerful for it. We become more aware of our yes. customers because our customers are not monolithic. Our customers are a very diverse pool of people. So if my staff isn't diverse, then we can't really connect. Lydia, can you think of any steps that I missed to be the change that you can think of? I think we just we just need to have compassion and you you said it you have to just shut up and listen listen to the pain that is behind all of this you know now they have this they have this challenge where they're doing the george floyd challenge where white americans is pinning down each other with their knee like it's no compassion and i wow. think that's why black americans are so upset and so angry because you can just take a black American's life and have no remorse, no compassion about it. And I think if we just have love, we that's all we need. We need love for each other, respect each other, have compassion, and that's it. Go on with your merry day, live out your dreams, focus on your goals, let's build America, let's do everything we need to do, but respect each other's background, respect each other's opinions don't call me stupid or an idiot like have respect and and value people value people's mm -hmm. opinion value people's 
background or where, wherever they come from. Just have respect. I'm, I'm very diverse with people living in Miami. This is a melting pot. And I talk to black Cubans, black Americans, black Dominicans, everybody, and same white too. I have, I'm, I'm in the middle of both sides, so I can relate to both <laughs> sides. And I value everyone's background, their culture, their religion beliefs, whatever. Mm -hmm. You gotta mm -hmm. go in with love, love in your heart. It starts in your heart. And if you don't have compassion, you need to sit in the mirror and think, what if this happens to me? What if this happens to my son? What if this happens to my mother, my grandmother, mm -hmm. or anyone that's close to you? And then you can feel the pain of Black Americans and all mm -hmm. Americans that have lived with injustice. So we gotta have compassion for each other. Yes, absolutely. I love that. And I think that just goes along with what I've been saying. Actually, uh, God taught me in the quarantine and he really taught me yesterday after this whole situation happened is to expand my empathy and to really, really get empathetic and uh, really ask that question. Just like Dale said, take inventory. Tina, do you really value every single person? Then if you do, then you won't be silent and you won't allow this mm -hmm. to continue. And that's when he put in my heart, you know, this, you were born for such a time as this, you have to share the injustice that's happening. And quite frankly, I shame on me. I was unaware of any of this happening and our team mm -hmm. was unaware. As you know, I love and respect both of you so much. And I'm so glad that you're in my life and, and mm -hmm. that we're friends as well too. So thank you guys. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to send us your stories of transformation through www.tinablack.net. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to give it a rating and subscribe. See you next time.